0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Show Again podcast with me, Sean Colfer. Today we are going to be continuing to look back at the 2010s and the focus today is going to be on Irish Ultimate. Ultimate in Ireland changed a lot during this decade, I think more so in many ways than Ultimate in the UK. At the beginning of the decade, Irish Ultimate was comparatively early in its development phase, but by the end of the decade they'd sent teams to club Euros in every division, and obviously had won gold at 2019 Euros in the women's division. There was plenty of other progress made during the decade. So I wanted to speak to two people who have a much better idea of what has gone on in Ireland and how things have developed to this point. So I spoke to Dominic Smith and Fiona Myrna about what they thought had changed in the last decade. I hope you like it. Okay, so now I'm joined by Fiona Murner, who is a, an Ultimate player from Ireland, played for Ireland Women, Ireland Mixed, and runs Therapy for Optimal Performance, uh, so a strength and conditioning coach and uh, and a physical therapist. Uh, Fiona, how are you?
1: Good, thanks. Doing well.
0: And by Dominic Smith, who runs Dublin Youth Ultimate, um, introduced thousands of young players to Ultimate in Dublin, and also an assistant coach for the Open team from Ireland. Dominic, how are you?
2: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: How have you both been during the pandemic? It's obviously a weird time for everybody. Dominic, if I start with you, how's how the last few months been? I imagine there's been a lot of change.
2: Um, the first few months, I was incredibly productive, actually, uh, cleaning and creating and things like that. Um, the last little while, I think my patience has run out. I'm finding it, I'm finding it tough at the moment. Disappointed to not be going out to schools whenever I drive past them or cycle past them thinking oh we could be doing a p class in there right now so that's annoying
0: yeah hopefully we can get back to normality fairly soon with i don't know with the uh, vaccine coming i suppose there's brighter days on the horizon hopefully but so uh, yeah i hear that definitely been definitely been getting more difficult as it's been dragging on yeah fiona how about you
1: yeah uh, there have been two major lockdowns here i suppose and the first one I just stopped working, I was trying to do things online, but um, it was quite small uh, and the income just took a dive. (laughs) So the second lockdown now is much better because physiotherapy has been deemed an essential service. So I've been able to work through it. Um, And otherwise, yeah, trying to actually stay active and fit as an ultimate player. It's been good to keep discipline regardless. So it keeps you in a bit of a routine. um, And I've been distracted by, house stuff as well which has helped so we moved into a house this year I can't really say new house it's an old house but it's new to us <laughs> and it needs a few things doing up so yeah that's been good distraction as well
0: yeah we uh I bought a flat during during our lockdown and moved and completely underestimated how stressful that is so I <laughs> definitely definitely understand how that how you can fill your time doing stuff like that yeah I know somebody in
2: the UK who got married was it December 5th did your lockdown lift uh was lifted started, on the fourth?
0: Yeah, it would have been li- would have been lifted, yeah, about the fourth, so something like that.
2: Yeah, lifted on the fourth, and they got married on the fifth.
0: That is really right. making the most of th- being things being lifted.
2: Well, they had a ceremony and then I think they walked down the road to a cafe and got a hot chocolate. <laughs> that was about the extent of what they were able to do. But uh they're they're both very very positive about it and planning celebrations for they're coming summer or autumn when they, when they actually can have family around them again. So they're not letting it get them down.
0: That's good. That's positive. You know, find the silver linings. I suppose, and everyone loves hot chocolate. So the reason that I've you know asked you both to to talk to me today is because uh, in the last kind of ten years, it appears as though from the outside, from somebody looking into Irish ultimate and seeing obviously the teams when they come over to the UK and when they go to Europe, that there's been a real change in. In Irish ultimate over the last ten years, in terms of how the teams have been able to prepare and then the results that they've been getting. So, Dominic, if I start with you, where did, would you say that Ireland was in terms of the hierarchy of European ultimate around about 2010? What kind of <laughs> what kind of position would you say that Ireland Ireland was in at that point?
2: Uh, full stop at the end of the sentence. The I don't know the crumbs under the table. Uh, we weren't. We we attended international events, but By no means were we part of anybody's consideration. 2007, the Open team... So Ireland sent its first national teams in 2000. 2003, we had Open and Women's. Neither team won a game. 2007, the Women's team won two matches, I believe. The Open team finished sixth. 2008, didn't do too well. I think the Women's team had a slightly more successful week than the men's team. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I say slightly more yes. successful. I don't think either of us were superbly successful. Other than 2007 with the Open team, none of the Irish teams had done very well, had had, had broken the top half or the, the top three quarters of anything. It was always a hope and always a goal, but none of us had ever managed to achieve it. And We'd come up against national teams that were running... 21, 23 players who we just couldn't match. We could go seven on seven, either team, any team could go seven on seven with any country that we're up against. But we didn't have strength and depth in in any of our teams, which is not overly surprising, given that the first All-Ireland Championships for club teams was held in 2008 in the mixed division with six teams. That was the, the sum total of ultimate players in the country made up six mixed teams. Open division was added in 2009. Fiona, do you remember when women's was added first?
1: No, I should have looked at this. I know women's IVs, I think that even that came before any club stuff. That was like 2008, 2009, that season. And our first women's club team was only in 2010. Yeah. And they would just been one in the country. <laughs> so there was no tolerance for a few years after that.
2: Yeah, so the community was very small. We had some people competing at the top level, but there was a gap between, to get to use that starting seven comparison, there was a gap between the starting seven and the next seven uh, across the board, I would say, at the start of the decade. And so now to see how things have changed has been absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, Fiona, you say this are the first women's team um, was around in, in 2010, the first club team. So I, and also for, for people who don't play in Ireland, IVs is uh, university ultimate in, in Ireland. Uh, is that, is that correct? So, um, intervarsities, intervarsities. So you talked about the first women's team being around that point. Was there a point that you, you could feel things changing Fiona or was there, or has it been a kind of a, a long development road?
1: Yeah, it's been a long development road. I don't think there is necessarily a turning point as such. And I think we're very much still in a development process. I'm um, not sure if that ever really, that feeling changes much. But 2009, 2010, so World Cups happened in summer of 2010. So that's why Little Miss Sunshine, or LMS, was formed uh, for the purpose of attending that. And I think Dublin Ultimate, I'm not sure if that was formed for yeah. that year the first year yeah as well so that sort of i think kicked off where people wanted to actually have clubs that trained together as well and didn't just enter tournaments so before that we were trying to do development teams where they'd be pickup teams like deadly buzz and we go to things like tom's tourney and uh, similar tournaments windmill maybe as well and so then just trying to grow those and develop the kind of club scene is the main thing that needed to change in Ireland and I guess actually that probably was the turning point where people realised it's not good enough to just show up with your friends to a tournament if we want to actually compete internationally we need to start training regularly as a group
2: yeah with, with Dublin Ultimate it was in part it was kind of pushed by Cork so there had been teams in Dublin who were playing competitions and every once in a while would travel abroad but it was more a case of, well, this bunch of 10 guys are friends and that bunch of 10 guys are friends. So they're going to be two different teams. And they'd have great matches against each other, but neither team was able to compete against anybody outside Ireland. And then Cork and Rebel Ultimate formed and they started pushing things. And they, they presented a, a model of a team that wanted to train and wanted to compete And it kind of forced the hand, especially of the the male players in Dublin, to go, okay, well, if we want to compete, we need to be a team that trains. That started with Dublin Ultimate a little bit and then morphed or independently became Ranala. But it was very much the idea of, well, actually, if we want to do this, we need to be an actual team that trains.
0: I wonder how much of that was influenced by the uh, the college scene, because I know Trinity uh, women came over to the UK and did well indoors at one point early in the decade. And uh, I know, obviously, the Cork men, they came second in 2012 and then came back over in 2013 and absolutely annihilated everybody. How much did the, has the college scene informed things? What was it like on the women's side, Fiona? Were you part of that Trinity team or do you know people that were part of that Trinity team?
1: No, I was in DCU. I DCU didn't ladies. Mind. DCU ladies, <laughs> yeah, we won UK Indoor Nationals. I actually only remember that the other day when I was thinking back. And um, must've been uh, 2007, 2008 or something. But um, the, uh, yeah, the college scene, the Trinity girls had a really strong system in place. So they had a reign of like really good early years. Um, and then kind of Cork took over actually from last in the last like seven years, <laughs> they've lasted a bit longer. Um, but that's, I think, it helped that people started to graduate then, and um, they wanted an outlet for playing. So the varsity team was definitely important for helping to grow that desire to play more and play with clubs as well. I think.
0: It was a similar thing in open dominant. With I, I don't know if you were talking the rebel guys you were talking about. Was it the guys who were playing at the college at that time, or was it the people who were had already uh, graduated?
2: So there was for a longest time. Intervarsities in Ireland was won by Trinity or UCD. And then I can't remember the year, but Cork, had, UC, University College Cork had been been challenging, but had never managed to win it. And then they came one year with a, an incredibly strong team, everybody in fantastic shape, everybody playing unbelievably well. And I believe it's that core of players then became the rebel first team. Whether it was immediately or one or two years later, I don't know. But it was that same group of people, as Fiona said, who wanted an outlet to keep playing. And yes, they were playing with their friends, but it wasn't a case of, well, we're only going to play with our friends. So the, the foundations from university were carried through into the club mentality, I guess, to continue to, to push and compete and to enjoy the experience with people that they were friends with.
0: So it sounds like the, the kind of important bit really has been the development of, of Ultimate in more than one area to create that internal competition. You talked about Rebel being really good and uh, that pushing the guys in Dublin. Obviously now Pelt in Limerick are also really good. So there's three kind of hubs of Ultimate in Ireland pushing each other to improve. Do you think, Absolutely. Dominic, that's, that's been a key part of pushing the, the scene to where it is? Absolutely.
2: And I would be surprised if anybody in any sporting endeavour anywhere in the world, wouldn't say that competition drives performance and achievement and accomplishment. Um, it's very easy to be the big fish in a small pond, but if you've got another fish the same size challenging you, then you got to be at your best. Um, and having, having come through Irish Ultimate before the competitive days, it wasn't really a thought of... Who's, which team is the best in Ireland? It was more of a case of, okay, let's get the best players together to be the only team to leave Ireland, which was the national team. Um, so yeah, having club competition, Dublin Ultimate or Ranola v Rebel v Pelt, LMS v Jabba, Gravity v Rebel, it's fantastic competition. And it's it drive, I'm I'm guessing, I don't know anymore because it's been a while since I played. I'm guessing it's what drives people to keep putting the effort in, knowing that their opponent somewhere else in the country is putting their effort in.
0: Theo and obviously Gravity have been doing really well in recent years, but also Rebel have been pushing as well. You both finished in the top four of UK nationals at the last time you came over. So I imagine it's much the same for for the women's side as well.
1: Yeah. Um, initially, as I said, Little Miss Sunshine started um and there was a vision for it to be the main club and kind of the only club in the country to so they were going to let anyone from anywhere in the country join it and try and play and they just have to travel up for some training weekends and such but the second year i was quite determined to create a second team actually because of the whole idea that competition is at uh, least to better improvement so that's when jabba the hook formed the women's team and then over the years lms turned into gravity and then it was Gravity and java and then Gravity and java actually decided to merge because we realised we were just butting heads a bit too much in terms of recruitment, and we weren't actually achieving very much. We were a bit too, I think, uh, nervous of uh, recruitment and stuff. It was just a bit funny, so we decided to join and um, to then allow the Dublin base to grow more. And meanwhile, Cork, being three and a half hours away, they were uh, developing their own great system as well and uh, getting a lot of players in there. So for now then as well the competition has grown really nicely so those two clubs anyone could win on any day and that's been really like just really enjoyable and great to have the only pity is the fact that we're uh, so far away we don't actually get to have easy friendlies or regular mm-hmm. games against each other so that's where there's a formation of a second women's team in Dublin now which I think is really important um, to actually get back into that stage where now the numbers are healthy in both clubs And hopefully Cork will get to that stage very soon as well where they're able to form two teams and then we can just continue to grow other teams around Limerick and Galway as well.
0: Something Dominic said a minute ago is is something that I'm interested in. Um, Having played against, I played against Dublin Ultimate when I was playing back, it would have been about 2010, 2011, something like that. And having played against um, Ranler and uh, when Rebel came as a mixed team a couple of years ago, Dominic was talking about how a lot of the players came And they got in great shape and they were able to really push from there and it certainly seems whenever one of the top irish teams come over it seems as though they've got a whole roster full of people that are fit athletic and you know can keep running and just won't stop and it's the same the whole way through the roster maybe the kind of the skills are up and down as it is in any roster but one thing that's kind of a constant is that athleticism and that almost professional work ethic to get themselves into really good shape fiona i'm interested in your insight from a, a strength and conditioning perspective How much do you think that has changed in recent years and do you think that's had a a huge effect
1: yeah so it's definitely changed but what's changed is what people are doing as well i think because when i was on the 2008 irish team we were given plans i looked them up recently and there was one that was about a 30 minute core workout and it's just like plank side plank boot bridge leg raise, lying on your side and stuff and it's just very very different now because people are actually informed as to what is more effective for when you want to be a field athlete so that's the big change i think that even if people were thinking about doing even running we had running plans as well that they're making it more specific the Pardon?
2: time the time the runs for three
1: minutes on three minutes off um, so you're never like hardly ever sprinting where it's like but you want to be really fast on the pitch um, so that's changed for the better for sure um, I think st- some people still like struggle to maintain a consistent uh, program or attendance to the gym and stuff, but the majority of people are doing it and they know they have to do it now. There's a bit more pressure on them if they want to be part of the better squads or be selected for first teams and such.
2: One thing I rem- remember was about 2010, 2011 or so, we we did a survey of players with regard to injuries through ultimate. And we found that there was a lot of people who were getting somewhat stupid injuries because they weren't doing any strengthening conditioning or what is now known as strength and conditioning. Back then it was just Mm -hmm. fitness. They they would go to a tournament, they would play two days, they would come home and they'd have three weeks where they might play a pickup game once. And then they go to another tournament and play two days and come home and spend another three weeks doing nothing. So people weren't developing any strength, any support or integrity in their joints or muscles. Um, So through that, the IFDA set up an injury fund scheme that was, if you get injured at a tournament or at an IFDA event or at a national team session, we'll pay for your first physio session. We want you to get treated. We want you to take responsibility and care of your body. Now, whether people whether that message got through to people or whether it just trickled out in different directions. I think by the IFTA, the, sorry, the Irish Flying Disc Association, giving the message out of here, your body is important. Please look after it. Hopefully that kind of spread the word and trickled into some people's brains of, Oh yeah, if I'm actually, if I'm going to do this sport, I may as well put the effort in to being able to do it properly. Um, I think that played a role in people taking their conditioning more serious, putting the time and effort into their their strengthening workouts and knowing what am I going to ask my body to do in these weekend-long tournaments and how do I best be ready for that rather than, I'm going to go run around with my mates. Yeah, who cares if I dislocate my shoulder and strain every muscle in my body? It's going to be great fun. We want it to be about competitive and enjoyable fun, not physically...
0: Breaking fun. It's a really interesting policy that I suppose thinking about, like, if the UK you tried that, it just wouldn't work because there's the scene here is so large. Do you think that's a case of it was able to work and it was able to put, you know, suggest it and put into place and feasible because the game was in a fairly early stage? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Like, we are at the scene in Ireland, as I said, first national championships was 2008. Still, our national championships—sorry, our All Ireland championships—are they're not on us. They'd be—I don't know—you'd have teams, a number of teams comparable to a regionals in the UK. You know, the, I think the open division last year had eight teams in Division One, and then six or seven in Division Two. So that's the total of the the open division—fifteen, maybe sixteen teams. Women's division last year was. Eight. I think
1: we got to eight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So still small. 2010, even smaller. Uh, you knew everybody, and if somebody tells you, "Yeah, I got injured at a tournament," you go, "Oh yeah, I remember. I was on the next pitch." You know. <laughs> but it, it started to sow the seeds, uh, and that's and that's what it was there for. It was to try and help the community stay healthy and to put the idea into their heads of like your health and looking after yourself is important to you is important to the community if you're going to continue to play
1: yeah I think we've really noticed that with the women as well because a lot of women when I was playing I was 20 say a lot of the women in their late 20s were retiring because they didn't feel like they could maybe keep up or they're actually retiring through injury and they just could not get over whatever injuries they had usually like recurring like dislocations one was a recurring knee dislocation she just could not get it to stop um and then other stuff like I know I don't know if you know shimbo over there like uh terrible injuries to shoulders and all sorts um so it's just a lot of uh, like uh, chronic pain and issues that whereas people absolutely can have the same injuries now but i think they have more solutions for them as well and they're they know that they can help themselves prevent them which is really important for keeping themselves in the game for longer so we have um more women able to do that now as well Another yeah, thing right. that
2: gets I don't know gets thrown around with regard to Irish sports people is the, the foundation in Gaelic sports. Now, I didn't play Gaelic sports, but I, I played rugby through school. I think there is um, I, I make a joke that the Gaelic Athletic Association, the GAA, is single-handedly responsible for denying Ireland all its gold medals in the Olympics but also (laughs) single-handedly responsible for keeping the entire nation involved in sports. I never realized the extent of it being city boy born and bred, but I had friends from around the country who told me that growing up, if they were doing anything in school sports wise, it was at the local guy club. So everybody had some connection with that local club. And for the most part, everybody played to some degree whether it was just minis up to whatever age or whether they kept going and played on the under 14 fourths. So the majority of people in Ireland have some kind of sporting background uh, and which is then the Irish ultimate scene has wonderfully been able to convert into, well, here are the skills to throw a frisbee. You already know how to run, jump and play defense. We're going to teach you how to throw and catch. But we also still at the same time have an awareness that there are people who don't have that and uh, one of the things that i am most proud of in ultimate as a whole wherever i've played and anybody i've met is that awareness that we are not an island we haven't finished the job yet we still need we still want more people playing the sport so the college recruitment in ultimate in ireland is the the lifeblood of how this our sport grows and every year, for every athlete that a college club gets, they get two or three non athletes, people who dropped out of sports at 15, 12, or younger. Um, and so, while great effort is put into teaching the, the athletes how to throw and catch, great effort is also put into teaching the. Sorry, I'm using athletes as people who are had been involved in yeah. structured competitive sports up until they left secondary school people who hadn't been involved in structured and competitive sport, teaching them how to look after their body, teaching them how to go through a two-hour training session. Oh, yeah, when a coach says take a water break, it's actually a good idea to have some water, you know. You might not feel thirsty, but it's worth doing. So I, th- I think the Irish community has been wonderfully aware of that, of the, the influx of people with organized sporting knowledge and then the awareness of people coming in without that and being able to cater to both and get both groups taking care of themselves, being able to push themselves and develop themselves while still, stay, while staying safe and enjoying the sport.
0: And I think the, the numbers thing that you're talking about, the, the getting more people into the game kind of links quite nicely to the next thing I wanted to to talk about. And it's, yeah. There's been, it's almost, almost like I've planned this. <laughs> um, there's been really good success for loads of teams from Ireland in the last few years. You've had teams from all three divisions make club Euros. You've obviously, the mixed team in 2015 had a silver medal at Euros and the women's team um, last year won gold. But it has seemed as though when the mixed division has been strong, so when mixed was coming second in Europe in 2015, the open and women's team suffered. And then vice versa, what's the next step to make all three of those divisions good at the same time? Fiona, you were on the teams in 2015 and 2019. Do you think that's a fair assessment that when one division is strong, maybe the other divisions aren't as strong?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. It's really a numbers game. Like It's just that how many players do you have who want to play at that level and who can play at that level who are interested in that year as well. People can go off for... Years at a time, or um, going off away for summers, and so before, like say, I always like think back to two thousand eight. It was like maybe four people didn't get picked on the team on the women's team. So you're really taking nearly everyone from the island. And so that then grows into uh, like you know ten people didn't get selected the next four years later or and goes up and up and actually 2016 wasn't great either but let's not talk about that and so um, it really is I think just how many people can you get involved and how many of them can you retain who are athletic as well and speaking like the things we've talked about with regards to colleges I think what's really helped is that we seem to be attracting more athletes so more of those people with an athletic background whereas certainly um, when I was in DCU it was, you know, you had a lot of kind of geeky kind of people, if you like. I don't, that's not a great word, but it's kind of like the, the, they wouldn't have been playing a sport basically beforehand and they're kind of um, maybe uh, a little bit unsure of themselves. And then ultimately, they really took to it and they were actually athletic, but it's more like that only got shown because they started playing ultimate. Um, but now we're actually attracting people away from their other main sports. And that really helps as well to increase the level of standard
0: geeky is definitely not an unfair way to describe it i am one of those people who wouldn't have been playing the sport otherwise um, that you probably would describe as geeky i know that there's a lot of um, kind of good young players coming through but certainly that numbers game is is clearly the next kind of step dominic in terms of your work with with youth programs and then your role now as assistant coach with the open team are you seeing good younger players come through those athletes you were talking about that are going to be able to grow that scene
2: oh absolutely So in Dublin Youth Ultimate, our goal is to introduce people to the sport. We're not trying to train them or develop them or get them ready for national competition. We just want to introduce them to it. If they find out that they enjoy it and they want to know more about it, we will absolutely guide them and bring them to training sessions where they can develop and learn more. But we just want to show them what the sport is like, how much fun it is, throwing a frisbee around. Uh, we run our events with, like, we had a, we had a senior mixer, uh, January 2020, where we had 216 and 17-year-olds from, uh, I think, what is it, nine or 10 different schools, basically a hat tournament. And my favorite moment of that day was well, actually two moments. One was looking to my side at the very end of the day to see that one team who were all finished were still hanging out chatting together. So this was people from 10 different schools who had never met, who through the course of this day had got to the point where they wanted to continue to hang out and chat, which for me is one of the fantastic things about Ultimate. So there was 10 people who had seen, yeah, I like this part of the sport. My hope as the organizer is that that will then push them to continue in the sport. And if they go on to compete at a higher level, wonderful. Another thing that I liked about it was seeing people playing in the games who had, Never met before, but in the space of one or two 15 minute games had realized, ah, huh, I like doing this throw and she likes making that run for the catch and he likes doing this when we're defending. So I'm being able to look on the court and see that people have had identified this is something I can do to help my team. We have seen people get started when they were in first year in secondary school so 13 years of age and go on to win like under nine under 20 european silver medals for ireland go on to play for senior national teams so it's incredibly rewarding from our point of view as as coaches and the people that are introducing them to the sport and fingers crossed, more of the people we introduce will continue to play. And it's great hearing stories from the college teams and college coaches of, oh, we had somebody show up to our training session last night, and we went to show them how to throw a flick, and they ended up throwing it three quarters the length of the pitch, and then turned around and said, oh yeah, I learned to play in school. Um, so hearing those kind of stories is wonderful. That, uh, but wonderful from the point of view of they've enjoyed the sport and they want to keep going. We don't want to put any pressure on a 15 or 16 year old to commit to ultimate enjoy playing if you enjoy it here's where you can play more of course we try and give some of them a subtle nudge along the lines of you are absolutely fantastic please stay but you got to go softly softly
0: yeah and fiona i think the kind of final point on this on this section so what what Dominic's talking about there in terms of bringing more people into the sport, you've been part of this this generation that's been able to get the silver medal and gold medal at Euros. This this generation that's been coming through. Do you think this is something that's going to be able to continue this kind of improvement in level, maintaining this position in Europe of you know having strong teams and and being able to compete against the bigger nations? It's not just going to be a this golden generation
1: situation, right? Yeah, I would definitely hope so. The main thing that the 2015 and 2019 teams had in common were is that they had the same coach so the same coach and a few key players that would be used to that coach as well and with that then the, the like Ian French of the, being the coach like he's able to apply very good systems and logic whoever he's working with and he knows how to make the best out of a team so the way I would uh, consider this: is in 2011, say the women's team, they beat Finland. 11 with GB. They, it was GB. Yeah. Oh, it's 2015. It's 2015 yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So um, so with that then though, they still weren't able to actually pull out enough wins. So the question of athleticism isn't really the issue or necessarily even disc skills or having certain star players, I think that's been there for the last decade or so. But the ability to actually bring that together into a team that can win games and crucial games and play a week long tournament and use good tactics. That's what I think has changed the most. And that should be able to continue. At the minute I'm the high performance director for the IFDA and trying to put in a really strong coaching system and something that all the players that are gonna come through In the next 10 years say we'll get to go through a really good system of learning and development that it shouldn't be a golden generation
0: i think one of the things i is is a pet theory for me really having talked to some american players and players from other country in the uk when we play kind of youth sports and stuff there's very very few teams or sports that are actually coached you look at people that come into the sport very few people have actually had a coach in anything and so there's very few non-playing coaches in the UK and people don't really, it's that interaction between a player and a coach. People aren't used to it. So it's interesting what Dominic talked about in terms of people coming from GAA, where there's been people telling them how to do things and what to do. And then there's the high performance kind of push to get people um, into programs where they, they are getting coaching and they know the kind of things they should be looking at. It's interesting to, to hear the development aspect from, from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of crucial That's how you sustain it longer rather than relying on certain players to carry you through. And then they have to get older and usually more hurts no matter how much uh, they do their strength and conditioning. (laughs) It's hard to play Ironman. Uh, So yeah, it kind of has to come from your system of coaching and development.
2: Yeah, and I think over the the, the course of the decade that we're talking about, uh, again, to go back to 2008, 2010, when there was only... Well, 2008, when the only show in town was the national team, and that was the only one that had the only group that had tactics. There's now a case of all these club teams again, we've talked about the different competition, but all these club teams who have their different tactics and their different approaches and their different game plans. Um, So to have people coming through to national teams who have exposure to different mentalities and different ways of going about things. Um, it's Then it becomes a case of deciding, okay, as a national team, we're gonna go with this, this, and this. Everybody already knows how to do X, Y, and Z, one, two, and three. So we can just focus on refining how we do these things. We can work on fine tuning how we play our, our different zone setups right, where, and leave it to the clubs and the universities to teach what a zone is in the first place Um, that's been it's been wonderful to see that trickle down of game knowledge and tactical awareness and ultimate iq throughout the playing population so that the national teams and the national team coaches are then free to just work on higher level things and your national team training session doesn't become a throwing session for the first 45 minutes of making sure everybody's backhands are flat and on target.
1: Yeah, it really depends on who is in charge of the teams as well. So that's why there's been quite a bit of variability or that's part of the the reason because there's not enough, I think, cohesion between teams or from cycle to cycle. So that's what we're gonna try and work on as well. Yeah,
0: great really really interesting stuff and uh, thank you for sharing your insights there so we'll move on to the final bit of the podcast which is the bit that everybody who's on the podcast complains about all the time it is time to talk about best line so people listening best line is the best seven players that fiona and dominic have played with if you want to pick open women's that's fine if you want to pick mixed it's three three and then one of any gender so seven overall
1: I was sick of it this during the day um, so obvious one Sarah Melbourne to start with um, I'm going for a mixed line four okay. women three men and Amy Moffis second one Emer Staunton Kelly Highland my brother Keith he's actually good at frisbee though Limo so Liam Fletcher and then Brian Henderson, who unfortunately is someone that had to retire through injury, but he was playing a little bit again last year uh, socially. He was a very good handler. He was on the 2015 mixed team. Unfortunately, he got injured. It was actually after that he, he wasn't really able to cover well from it, but shoulder dislocation at it, and so we didn't have him for the final. He was a bit of a crucial player to lose, but I'd bring him back for this special line.
0: So that's very, off the top of my head, that's very 2015 heavy. And Kelly Kelly wasn't on that 2015 team, was she? She was on no, she the wasn't. 2019 team though.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And really that that uh, to be fair, um, it's hard not to think of these people. they they've been the biggest influences over the years, uh, as well with Jabba the Hook, which is like my main club team as well. And such like Jabba was actually one of the first clubs to really well that I, I know of anyway, to really start training as well weekly and to be really consistent with that and actually try to win things through development rather than just picking up the best players, which is a bit of a frustration at the time when you were quite young and they were just going to be better than you with that five years extra experience or whatever it would have been.
0: Great work. It's a very good team. Can't really pick any holes in it. you have obviously got results to show that it was a good team as well. So. <laughs> yeah. And Dominic, what about your
2: team? The first one is a guy called Dell Robinson. I played with him at a summer league in New York uh, just as I got started. And even till now, he's the only player I've ever played with who was able to play and like, run a game as he wanted to while simultaneously doing commentary on what the other 13 people on the pitch were doing. He would have it and say, Ooh, Jeff is making a cut to the open side, but Dell doesn't like that. Cause he's going to take John over on the break side and then would throw a break to John who had cut over on the break side. Um, so even like I was maybe one or two years into playing when I met Al, and to see somebody who had such awareness of what was happening on the pitch and such control over what was happening within him, to be able to calmly see everything and explain what he was seeing, uh, it has stuck with me throughout my playing career. Um, and next up are two guys from the European beach ultimate scene that was incredibly influential to me when I was playing at the start, kind of early 2000s. Uh, guys called Miguel Pratt and Rue Vidal, or Rue Vital. I never knew how to pronounce his the surname. There were two guys who played as well as they could, uh, played incredibly competitively, but also enjoyed the community and camaraderie that Ultimate gave to an exceptional level. Um, those two guys went on to become two of the founding members of Sexpensive, um, yeah. which was a group of guys who played beach ultimate tournaments together for, for years and just enjoyed each other's company so much that they kept going. And they were from all different countries around Europe, North America. Um, they just wanted to continue to play together, to continue enjoy playing together. So for me, the two of them, represented that fine balance of competitive, but enjoying the community that you're a part of. Uh, two Irish names that get onto the list are Kino Moron and Yvonne Halpin. Uh, Kino Moron came from a Gaelic football background, uh, got into Ultimate when he started college, cause there wasn't a huge amount of Gaelic football going on in Trinity at the time. Um, Enjoyed Ultimate, bit of fun, bit of crack, and then he found out, oh, I can actually do this. Keane was the first natural athlete that Irish Ultimate had got. Um, Keane went on to play with Clapham, win Euro golds, was on their O line for years, uh, was co captain of the Irish national Open team in 2011. And the, our MVP voting at the end of the week, he got all but one vote. He didn't get his own vote. Everybody in the team unanimously thought he was the best player we had. Um, so to see that caliber of athlete on an ultimate field, and as my teammate on ultimate field, was, was amazing. Um, the second name there was Yvonne Halpin. She was involved with women's teams in Ireland from 2003 and... I was one of the captains of the Open team in 2003 and gave serious consideration to picking Yvonne for the Open team. But as people pointed out, she'd be much better suited being the driving force on the women's team. Um, she pushed herself to be the best female player in the country at a time when she could have easily sat back and be like, hey, I'm good at this. I'm better than all the rest of you, whatever but she didn't. She kept pushing herself. And as a knock on effect, pushed all of those around her to excel and become more and more of a a women's community and a women's team that was going forward. Uh, The next name is a guy called David Girvin, uh, who got the nickname Bob at the time. Uh, He was a 15 year old kid who played with his school team. He was a sponge for information. So he, he, he was playing with his school team back before Dublin News Ultimate existed. There was no school's ultimate scene. Uh, this His school team was the only one. And they entered some college beginner competitions. But he was an absolute sponge for information. Anything that was said to him, he would do immediately. I remember, I think, the thing that stands out in my mind for him was in a match, uh, he would throw a hammer that got blocked because the defender was taller in the end zone. Uh, he came off the pitch and he was like, Oh, why didn't that work? I'm like, well, the defender was taller. It's a bad matchup to go for, but if you fake it, you'll get that defender moving and then you can throw a break because the defender will have gone the wrong way or can camera remember exactly what it was. We go back out on the pitch, maybe two points later, he has it. He fakes a hammer. The defender jumps, Bob throws a score. So to be around somebody who's so young, so new to the sport, but was so willing to take on information and able to put it into practice so quickly, I found that incredibly impressive, especially from someone so young. The last name is Brian McDevitt, uh, who is one of my best friends. Um, For Brian, coming up through Ultimate in the early 2000s, he was one of the driving forces, and the national team mattered so much to him that it inspired and motivated the rest of us to care about the national team. Brian says push harder, okay, I'll push harder. Brian says we can win this game, okay, I believe we can win this game. Um, I don't think Brian would classify himself as a fantastic athlete. I don't think he would classify himself as an amazing ultimate player, but he was a leader, he is a leader among men who brought out the best of so many of the so many of us around him. So yeah, he's gonna be one of my names. I think that's seven. So indeed. I'll leave it there.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Almost the history of the Irish Ultimate over the last few years through through one team, Dominic. That was really really interesting. (laughs) A little (laughs) a little bit longer winded than Fiona. Sorry. I (laughs) I
1: don't
0: know what was I supposed to say
1: more. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: fine. If we mix the two, we've got a perfect amount. So we're all good. but yeah, no, that's two good teams and great to hear. Great to hear the perspectives of both of you on that. And yeah, great to hear perspectives on, on everything we talked about. Really appreciate your time and appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Thank you very Thank much you. for having us.
1: Great. Thanks a million.
0: All right. So uh, as, as I said before, we have a few more of these things coming up. So stay with me uh, for, the, for the other podcasts we have coming up. Thank you for listening and I will talk to you soon.